Uh, the word of the day is annoyed. And so be listening for that word today, annoyed. Annoyed. Uh, and I'm going to try to bring that word up a couple times in the message, and uh, you be counting. Last week, the word was God, and we had like 130 references to God. Today will be a little bit less, um, a little bit less. Make sure you grab a donut, grab some coffee. Don't be afraid to get up, use the restroom, all that kind of stuff. Um, we're going to kind of now move into the just kind of message time, which is, again, one of these times that's kind of weird, right? Where else do you just sit? And um, and just listen in. Hey, Jackie, do we have the uh, do we have the text in the questions number? Do we have that or no? Just in case. No. Okay, that's okay. Not a big deal. Um, that, that's and that's totally my bad because I never gave you that. So it makes sense that you wouldn't have that. Uh, as I'm just thinking really fast in my head. Well, yeah, we might include that into maybe some other some other series because here, here's what I'm saying. This is a weird time because you have to like sit and listen and then you don't ever really get a chance to respond or like disagree. No other place in our culture is like that a, re a thing. Like, you're able to go shopping at Walmart. You're able to go to the, you know, and leave a little note and say that my shopping experience was terrible or something like that, right? And I guess you could leave that note laying around too here if you wanted to. But, but uh, this is a little bit of a weird time where I just share and you're kind of told to listen. But one of the things that we might try in the future is some like texting your questions or something like that, getting you to kind of respond and, and uh, work with and struggle with some of what we're talking about too. So maybe we'll throw that into some future um, series or something like that. Today we're finishing up our series on Jonah. And so today is our last day of this series. We've been looking at a guy in the Bible named Jonah. Uh, it's a really short little chapter, four chapters. We've broken it up into four weeks. So if you have your Bible, you can open up to Jonah. And um, if you don't have a Bible, we have a bunch of Bibles in the back for you. That's our gift to you um, so that you can be in the Word. We have some kids' Bibles too if you need a kid's Bible or whatever it might be. Um, but open up to Jonah, <clears throat> chapter 4. I'm going to read this, and then I'm just going to pray, and we're going to dive in for a little bit if that's cool. And then uh, we'll get you guys out to your parties or whatever you got going this weekend. <clears throat> so recap quickly, Jonah's been called by God to go to Nineveh. He doesn't want to do that. He goes to Tarshish. He goes to a place the opposite direction. Uh, God sends a big storm. Uh, actually, some sailors on the boat uh, end up repenting and turning to God, turning to Yahweh. Jonah gets thrown overboard. A big fish swallows him. Um, Jonah prays from the belly of the fish in chapter 2, thanks God for his grace and his mercy and, and provision of keeping him safe from Sheol, which we talked about can kind of mean different things, but, but ultimately has a meaning kind of of like hell. Thank you for saving me. And so he's received from Yahweh. He's received grace and mercy. And now he gets, uh, actually, uh, the, the word is spewed out. He gets uh, vomited out by the fish. And then God comes to him again, right? We talked about second chances, third chances, fourth chances a little bit. And God sends him wanting that grace and that mercy that he's experienced as well to now go and share that same grace and mercy to Nineveh. 
um, kind of extend this judgment. At first, it kind of starts with this judgment. The word is actually changed. God says he's going to change Nineveh. There's going to be a change that comes with an initial feeling of judgment. And then um, God actually does change and is gracious and merciful to Nineveh as they repent and turn to God. Um, and now we're going to actually focus in again a little bit on Jonah and God and this little chit-chat between them because Jonah's not happy. Jonah's not happy with the way God worked. He's not happy with the way God worked with Nineveh. So let's just read the story. Here it is. Chapter 4, verse 1. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, which that's not even a good translation there, so I'll, I'll tell you what I think it should say in a second. But, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my con country? That's why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you're a gracious God and merciful. I knew you're slow to anger. I knew you're abounding in steadfast love. And you're relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me. For it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade until he should see what would actually become of the city, hoping, hoping it would just be leveled. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a little worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? He said, yes, I do well to be angry. Angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor. Nor did you make it to grow, which came into being in a night, and it perished in a night. Should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there's 120,000 people who don't know their right hand from their left, and even much cattle? Let's pray. Lord, open up our hearts to hear what you have for us today. We want to hear from you. We don't want to hear from Seth. We actually want to hear your voice speaking into our very souls, into our hearts. So I pray that you'd work that, Lord, right now. Use me as a mouthpiece, and I'm, I'm, a, I'm privileged. I'm, I'm amazed that you'd want to use a guy like me for that. I thank you for that. I thank you for that, Jesus. But I pray that I'd simply submit with a bit in my mouth, and you steer where you want to go today. I've got some thoughts, Lord, that we've been working on all week, sure. But ultimately, your Holy Spirit now fall. Fall afresh upon all of us and, um, and do that work that only you can do. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. About two years ago now, about two years ago, I was, I was in my driveway talking with one of my neighbors and a friend of mine, John Powell, who actually, uh, he, he's a pastor. He was a pastor. He's actually, he passed away this past summer. 
um, it was last year. He, he, it was in a tragic accident. And, um, and, uh, but he, he, two years ago, he actually showed up at my driveway. Uh, they were doing, uh, he, was, he was the pastor for Emmanuel Baptist, which is right down the road here, planting a church across the road from kind of where we were at the time, down here in New Caney. And uh, they're in the, the New Caney um, uh, uh, Annex Center. And uh, John came up to, John came up down my driveway and they were doing door-to-door evangelism with their church. And um, so John comes and we start talking and stuff because me and him were good friends and, and I just love this guy so much and we just, we, I don't know, we just had this kind of, this kind of we kind of understood each other and, and uh, so he comes down and I was like, hey John, what's up man, all this kind of stuff. And so, you know, uh, John comes up to me and my neighbor and almost immediately uh, well, you know, me and John first connected a little bit, and then I introduced to my neighbor. And then John just kind of went right into sharing Jesus with my neighbor. And, I mean, that's kind of what they were doing. They were kind of out there. But John just was like, hey, man, do you know about Jesus? Do you know about what Jesus has done for you and, and uh, that he saved you from your sin and, and from hell? And it, do you believe and trust in him? And I just remember thinking, I was like, holy smokes, John, this is fast, man. Like, you're coming, you're coming pretty fast here, right? And I'm not personally a huge door-to-door evangelist kind of guy. I kind of, uh, you know, I believe that God works through people to do that, and they need to be obedient to that, which I think John was one of those guys, honestly. Uh, but, you know, that's not a, I'm not a big fan of that, necessarily. And it was, what amazed me is how kind of resistant I was to God working in this particular moment through John to my neighbor to share the gospel with somebody who I've been neighbors with now for some time and I've yet to share the gospel with. I was almost annoyed. I was almost annoyed with the way in which uh, God was kind of working in this particular situation because it's not the way that I had kind of thought it should go. I had kind of a vision of the way this is supposed to work with my neighbors and those kinds of things, and God was simply working in a different way. What I I want to look at today is I want to look at simply the problem that Jonah was dealing with, and then I want to look at the problem that we deal with, and then I want to look at the solution that God had for Jonah and the solution that God then has for us. It's a really simple sermon kind of breakdown today. Uh, It's a really easy kind of way to follow it. Um, But that's kind of the way we're going to look at today, all around this idea of kind of being annoyed. So what's the problem with Jonah? What's the problem with Jonah that he's dealing with in our text? It's interesting because Jonah is, is, is more than annoyed. I use the word annoyed so that we can kind of uh, stretch what it might, the text might mean for us today. But Jonah is actually more than annoyed in the text. Uh, in verse 1 there, it says that he's, what, uh, Jonah, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly. Here's the better translation on that. In the Hebrew, you actually have the word, uh, let me just make sure I get it, yara, which is, is a, a verb for evil. It actually is the verb for like evil. And then you have yara, which is the verb. Then you have Jonah, Jonah's name. And then you have the noun, uh, which is ra'a, which is also evil. Yara, Jonah, uh, ra'a, which is evil. And then you have the Hebrew word gadol, which is exceedingly or great. So a better translation would be something like, and Jonah saw that it was evil. 
It was evil to Jonah, exceedingly evil. Jonah actually thinks that the way in which God has been working in chapter 3, and who knows how far back even more than that, what it's all connected to exactly, Jonah actually sees God working some things. And and to Jonah, it's evil, it's wrong. Not just displeased. Jonah, Jonah sees the way in which God is working as wrong. You shouldn't be operating like that. Gadol, exceedingly evil. It's amazing how the narrator, whoever's kind of writing this exact story, who's writing this down, they, they actually surround Jonah with two words of evil. Jonah is beginning to surround himself, even as he's thinking about this is pertaining to God, he's beginning to surround himself with this kind of evil thinking that's actually beginning to shape him. He's being shaped by this. He's directing it towards God. This is, a, this is an evil thing to Jonah, exceedingly evil but it's actually starting to even shape his heart and his life. Just like, remember, that was part of, that was part of my message, right? Uh, on, 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 on chapter three last week, God, as he sends us out, he begins to shape us in the way, when we get sent. I talked about that. Well, it's interesting because as, as Jonah begins to rebel against the way in which God's been active, that also begins to shape his heart. And he begins to surround himself on each side of his name with literally, like, evil. That I find to be fascinating. In verses 2 through 3, in verses 2 through 3 here, you have nine references to Jonah referencing himself. Me. I. He prayed to the Lord. He said, I don't have this on the screen. Oh, Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you're gracious and merciful God, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from death. Therefore, now, Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. It's fascinating. It's fascinating that as as Jonah is rebelling against the way in which God is setting things up and as he's surrounding himself with this idea of God being even wrong in the way he's working, he begins to focus in on himself more and more and more and more and more. Even at this time, the name God, like the way in which God in your Bible, for example, when it has a capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, that's actually, the Hebrew word would be Yahweh. That happens here in chapter 4 a couple times. What's fascinating is, is there's movement, there's actual movement from Yahweh, and then it starts to move just more towards, talk about Elohim, which is the word for God. And then it even gets worse in verse 8. Where Jonah actually, and, and you, you can actually translate verse 8 here, this little section where he kind of prays to die. He says this, and he asked that he might die. You could translate that as like, he asked of himself. He's actually beginning to even pray to like himself. There's movement away from this relationship with Yahweh to one of just, oh God, to one of, 
I just want to die. It's just myself. That fascinates me as I'm reading this text, as I'm studying it, I'm seeing, here's this guy who has a relationship with Yahweh. We see this in chapter 1, verse 9. We see the way in which he prays to Yahweh from the belly of the fish. He's received God's mercy and he's received God's grace. But now as he begins to extend that to people who he doesn't know if that should really go to, he begins to have a posture of one of... of I'm not even going to talk to Yahweh. This, I'm not even going to talk to real, my relationship with God. It begins to move even towards just, oh God, and just movement even further away to just kind of himself and focusing on what he thinks. See, this is the problem. Ultimately, Jonah thinks he knows what's best. Jonah thinks he knows what's right. Jonah wants to control God's grace. Listen, guys, Jonah, Jonah's a racist. Jonah's a racist. Jonah's a nationalist that's gone too far. Jonah actually thinks that only Israel... They're only, their kind of ethnic group should only receive the mercy and grace of God. He doesn't think the Ninevites deserve grace. He only thinks they deserve judgment. Israel's supposed to receive grace, but not all those other nations. Not those other people. That's fascinating to me. He begins to focus more and more on simply himself. Um, I found this quote, which I found fascinating. This was from one of the commentaries that I was looking at, um, studying this from a guy named Reed Lessing. This is what he says. God's grace is not the possession of the elect. It is not at our disposal to dispense as we see fit. Now, this is God's grace. God's grace is something that we simply through faith in Christ are continually given without any merit on our part. You receive that today in the Lord's Supper. You receive that as we we get to hear God's word. Are continually given without any merit on our part. And if that grace is not embraced and lived out in relation with others, we actually evolve into religious monsters. I love that. How many of us have turned into or are struggling with this idea of being a religious monster? Because you think you deserve God's grace. You think you deserve God's activity and work in your life towards you in the way that you think it should be worked towards you. But you withhold that for other people. Now, I'm going to push this even further than this because some of you some of you aren't going to struggle with this or you're not going to think you're going to struggle with this much, but I'm going to stretch it even a little more for all of us. So what's the problem now? Jonah's struggling with this. Jonah doesn't think Nineveh deserves God's grace and his mercy. He sets up a little tent, a little shack. (laughs) I I envision this like uh, setting up some pallets, you know. I don't know, that's what I have a vision of. 
setting up some pallets to kind of get out of the shade a little bit, sets up his little world. And he just wants, maybe judgment will just fall on Nineveh. And um, what's our problem? Where do we struggle today with kind of some of this same thinking? Let me ask you like this. When have you gotten annoyed with God? Have you ever been annoyed with him? See, we don't like to jump to exceedingly evil. You know, you're like, no, I'm too good for that. I've never thought evil of God. I don't know why you're British all of a sudden. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, but have you ever been annoyed with him? And the way he's work, his activity? You ever been annoyed with God? What happens when we hear about what happens when we hear about a mass conversion of Muslims who become Christians? How do we think about things like that? What would you think about an entire city of Islam that comes to know Jesus and repents with a five, you know, a five-word sermon? Talked about that last week, but Five-word sermon comes, and they all get, and you're like, what? How would you respond to that? What happens when Jesus comes to you someday, and he says, I want you to take the good news of salvation into that area uh, that's predominantly filled with uh, the KKK. It's made up of KKK, or KKK group. What about taking the gospel to them? What does it look like for Jesus to come to us and say, I want you to take the gospel and the good news of Jesus into some parts of Houston that are made up of, of a large, vast majority of LGBTQ plus group living there. How about if God calls us to, to reach out to a neighbor that's a meth addict? And their life is just messed up. What does that look like? How do we kind of start to think about God's grace and his mercy or, and his judgment? See, one of the things, and I, 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 I'd love to go here, but I don't have time today. One of the real struggles in Jonah is Jonah is struggling with God's grace and his justice. He's trying to Figure the two out. How can God be both just and at the same time gracious and merciful? How can that happen? We wonder about that. We struggle with that. How can God be both just and make all wrongs right at some point while at the same time being merciful and gracious? Well, for us, we know that that doesn't happen until the cross. We know that it's at the cross, right? Where full justice is done while at the same time God's mercy and grace is being poured out. This is what Jonah's struggling with. We struggle with this so often too. What about, what if, what if God wants to take it to people who don't want to hear about it or don't even know about it? See, sometimes I think we'd rather see people burn 
We'd rather see people, we'd rather see people, oh, I just hope they all, yeah, I'm not, you know, you know what I'm saying. I just hope, hope they get hit by a truck. We'd rather see this of some people. We actually struggle with this sometimes. It's interesting. Jesus, in Matthew chapter 20, actually tells a story. Jesus tells a story, uh, a parable kind of thing, of a a man, uh, an owner of some land. And um, Jesus says that the man, the owner, goes to get some workers one morning, early in the morning, and he says, I'll give you this amount of money if you come and work for me. And they agree to it, and so they come to work. Then Jesus comes to some people a couple hours later, and he says, hey, why don't you come and work for me too? And they come and work for him. And then Jesus comes a couple hours, or not Jesus, the, the, the man in the story that Jesus is telling, the owner comes to, to some people and says, uh, a couple hours later, hey, come and work for me. And the owner does this throughout the day. And then at the end of the day, when the owner's going to come and pay the, the people who've come to work for him, he starts with the person that he's grabbed last. And he says, here's the amount that I'm going to give to you. And it's the same amount that was promised to the early morning guy. And so the owner pays each person the amount, and it gets to the guy who started earliest in the morning, and he starts thinking, well, clearly he's going to give me more. He's going to give me more. And the owner comes out, and he gives him what they had agreed to. And the guy's like, what the hey, fish fillet? Right? And what does Jesus say, the owner says? What does it say? Here, I got to... Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? Whose grace is it? Whose mercy? It's God's. It's Yahweh's. To give to who he wants to. And if he wants to turn and change from judgment on Nineveh to mercy and grace, he can do it. Jonah doesn't like that. Even though what amazes me is even though Jonah has actually experienced that for himself just two chapters earlier, He's experienced being saved from Sheol. He's he's experienced God's grace and his mercy. He's been thankful for that. But he also has a little bit of this peace of him that actually thinks, well, that is for me. (laughs) But it's not for them. Wow. That's fascinating. Now, let me me stretch this a little bit. Let's go beyond this, because some of you are like, I'm fine with Muslims becoming followers of Jesus and repenting. I'm fine with LGBTQ people repenting of their sin and and following Jesus. I'm fine with all that. Okay, okay, fine. So I'm not talking to you then. Let me talk to you for a second. Where have you been annoyed with God? Where have you just been annoyed with him? I think of my buddy John getting hit by a, a vehicle, trying to help somebody. He was literally helping somebody, got hit by an 18-wheeler, four little kids, a pastor. He, he converted me. He was in my driveway preaching to me. This guy loves Jesus, right? I can think of a ton of Houston, you know, I'm just going to shoot straight here, but I can think of a ton of, like, Houston trash, right? And I'm like, God, why wouldn't you take some of those people? 
Why would you take this great guy? <laughs> he loves you. He's like, he's converting people. He's planting a church. He's got four little kids, beautiful family. Why would you take him and not take, you know, trash? Start to get annoyed with God. Start to have some real conversations, don't you? You ever been ticked off with God? Have you ever found God to be exceedingly evil in the way he's working? This can be hard. This can be really hard. And if I'm not talking to you yet, I don't really have another thing that I'm going to bring you, so you might go get a donut and, you know, wait till the last song, because this one, as I reflect on, as I think on, I'm like, oh my goodness, I get annoyed with God all the time. Because in my, in my flesh, I actually think oftentimes I know what's best. I actually think that Seth knows better than God on the way in which God might work and do his thing. You know, Isaiah 55 verse 8 says, God's like, my ways aren't your ways. My thoughts aren't your thoughts. It's an out of this world thing, y'all. We actually need that. We actually need something outside of ourselves to come to us. This is why we make a big deal about something like communion or the, the word of God or the fellowship of the, because it's something outside of us where God is working his grace and his mercy towards us, not from, not from the, the inside, kind of, but just from outside in. He, he enters incarnationally, puts on flesh and blood to save us. How do we deal with this? How do we deal with this as we begin to deal with God like that? There's a, you know, this North Houston side, y'all, I don't know how many it is. I haven't done the research, but I'm guessing about a million, a million and a half, I don't know, people that are in our neighborhood, kind of, that we're trying to reach for Jesus. Isn't there like eight million people in Houston? So like Northeast, kind of Houston area, a million people maybe up here? Uh, statistically, if you do the surveys and stuff, about three quarters of them, uh, or about a quarter of them, would say that they're followers of Jesus. And you don't know. I'm not judging anybody or anything like that in terms of their heart, but that's kind of statistically. So three quarters. So we're talking about right here in our neighborhood, 750 to a million people who, if they die tonight, we actually believe this to be true that they would actually go to hell. Do we care about that? Do, do we even care? Or have we built our little shelter? <laughs> have we built our nice little cozy shelter made out of plywood? Which actually is pretty nice now these days. But you know, built our little shelter. You just try to get cozy, try to get out of the sun. Start to try to get comfortable. You know, I actually wonder if sometimes it's, it's actually the opposite of Jonah's struggle that's even worse Jonah calls it out. God, I think you're, it's exceedingly wrong. What about the person who doesn't care? Ugh. Is that in my heart? When I hear about, when I hear about God's activity and his work in places in Houston and in my neighborhood and I see, do I even care? 
You, you see what I'm saying? Kind of on that, like the opposite side of that. So what's, I got to keep moving. What's the solution for Jonah? What's the solution for Jonah? Well, God can, what amazes, it's just incredible. God continues to work towards Jonah. God continues to show his grace and his mercy even towards Jonah, as well as his law. And I'm going to point that out. Look at verse, look at verse 4. I don't, I don't think I have these on the screen here. The Lord asks him a question. Do you do well to be angry? Just notice the grace in that. I'm going to continue to have this conversation with you. That's gracious, a gracious God who continues to pursue Jonah. Uh, look at verse 6. Now the Lord God appointed a plant, made it to come up over Jonah. Look at God's grace in providing this little plant to come up over him and even provide more shade. Look at his grace. Now look at his law. Look at his law. Look at some of the judgment he brings as he brings this little worm. We don't know all the details about this, okay? It's kind of miraculous in, in a lot of ways, and that's okay. We, that's, we believe that stuff to be true. So the little worm comes, eats it, eats the plant. That, there's like judgment there. It is interesting to me that it's Yahweh God who provides the plant, and it's just Elohim who provides the worm. That fascinates me. That kind of stuff gets me fired up. I get excited about stuff like that. So he allows some, some bad stuff to come, a little worm. And then Jonah moves to this incredibly selfish place. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. This is just too much for me. And just so uncomfortable. And then God just comes with this incredible piece of grace. 39 Hebrew words. It's interesting. At the beginning of chapter 4, when, when Jonah speaks, he speaks 39 Hebrew words. Jonah speaks 39 Hebrew words. Then God speaks five, uh, God speaks three Hebrew words. Then Jonah speaks three Hebrew words. Then jo uh, God speaks five Hebrew words, Jonah speaks five Hebrew words, and then at the very end, God speaks 39 Hebrew words. Listen, God is in control from the beginning to the end of this story. It's been his, about his word. I told you that the first day. It begins like that. The word of God came to Jonah. And at the very end, God has the last say. That's just the reality. There's no way around it. He asks a question, and we're left to kind of contemplate how Jonah deals with that, which is brilliant, by the way. We don't have an answer because that allows us to kind of drive where it needs to be driven into each one of our hearts. As we start to wrestle with a similar question, does God, can God actually do this? Can God work this kind of activity? Yeah. To redeem all of creation. Notice it ends with cattle. Notice that within the Christian narrative, we actually believe that God will redeem and restore creation itself. The new heavens and the new earth. God is gracious to Jonah. 
Incredibly gracious, ending with a question. It's like today, how many of you are going to have a party or something and you'll have food out for a bunch of people, right? I know my mom, I was just thinking about this this morning. This made it my message this morning. My mom, anytime she has a party, my mom always has so much more food than is needed. Always. There's some of you like that. Some of you are okay with, you know, running out of food or something. My mom will never run out of food. I never saw her run out of food. She never, I don't think, will run out of food. Now, we're eating that stuff for the next month after the party. (laughs) Anybody else like that? Anybody just like, we're not running out of food. It's not happening. Not a chance. Yeah, okay, some of you are like that. That's kind of what God's grace is like here in Jonah. He's just not going to run out. He just continues to be work with Jonah where he's at. This is why we say it's a come as you are church because we actually believe that God will meet you where you're at and he'll work sometimes the little worm on you, judge, wrath. We need to be told, guys, apart from Christ, we're going to hell. We believe that to be true. Eternity. Apart from the love and grace of God, we actually go to hell. We've, we tell people that. We can tell people, listen, there's judgment coming upon sin and brokenness. God will make, there will be justice. Rights are made, wrongs are made right. But there's also forgiveness. There's grace. Jesus has gone to the cross. He's actually showed you already. He saved you already. Do we tell that to people? It doesn't run out. This is the solution for us. God's generous grace. God's generous grace is is the solution for us. As we struggle with the things that we struggle with, he continues to be gracious when you've lost that loved one, isn't it amazing when you reflect back at how gracious God was to you in the midst of that? I'm not saying it was easy. I'm not saying it was, oh, yay. Isn't it amazing how God didn't ever leave you? He was with you? I know we've experienced that in our life. Even in challenging and hard and frustrating as we deal with this broken world, God's grace and his mercy towards us even in those kinds of situations? Isn't it amazing that we get to receive the forgiveness of Jesus that he won for us on the cross and from the resurrection from the grave that we have even the promise of eternal life? And that one day he will come again? Praise God! This generous grace just pouring out a crockpot full. It just, it's just not going to run out because the one who's in charge of it isn't you. Boom. I'm going to end with this. Just another quote that I just found fascinating. And this is how we'll end this series. Shall God have compassion upon all people? Whatever Jonah's answer may have been, in the fullness of time, one greater than Jonah has appeared. Jesus, the Nazarene.
He has spoken the definitive answer with his whole heart, written in his own blood. The life, death, resurrection, ascension, and promised second coming of Jesus are the Father's yes, 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 a thousand times and forever, yes. Let's pray. Lord, I'm amazed that you continued to work with Jonah. (laughs) I'm amazed that you were gracious to those sailors on that boat. I'm amazed that you were gracious to the city of Nineveh. I'm amazed that you continued to pursue Jonah. I'm amazed, God, that you would continue to pursue me. That you would continue to pour your grace and your mercy into my life. Thank you for your law, where it does work like a little worm. To to show me my sin, to show me my need for you, To show me the way in which to live. Thank you for that, Lord. But even greater than the law, I thank you for your gospel. I thank you for the peace you have given to me through your blood on the cross. I thank you for the faith you've given to me through the hearing of your word the promises that you've given to us in our baptism in the places where you have been in our life where you've met people in this room in rooms where you've worked miracles and wonders thank you for your grace thank you for your mercy Lord, may we not interact with that grace and mercy in such a way as to think that we get to control it and turn into religious monsters. May we, yeah, no, amen. May we instead, oh God, embrace your grace and mercy and may we share it. May we speak it. May we live it into this world sacramentally. Thank you that your grace never runs out. God, I'm thinking of that person in this room that thinks it does, it did run out. They thought they've had too many chances. They thought it's just all done. Remind them today that you meet them right in that place. You extend extend that mercy and that grace yet again to them. Your mercy is new every morning. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Father, thank you for the yes, for the amen that we find in Christ Jesus. Amen.